evening, everybody. Glad to have you here on a Wednesday evening in December. December 13th, 2023. We're going to have a good show tonight. Our guest is Timothy Alberino. Timothy Alberino has not been on the show in a uh, few months. And in that time that he was gone, boy, what was he doing? He was cutting through the jungle brush out there in Peru, investigating the, uh, the tales of a menacing pack of so-called hovercraft, hovercraft flying face peelers in Peru. It has a little bit of everything down there. It had a little bit of military cover-up, a little bit of, I don't know, this and that. It's, uh, we had a lot of fun talking about it. And of course, the fact that our friend Timothy went off down into the jungles again. I can't wait to have him back on. I knew that he was going to be back stateside eventually. And then when he would... Well, he would get here that we'd have him on, and tonight is the night. So I'm going to talk to him a little bit about that. And um, and then I even want to return to that question of free will that we were talking about last night. Because I would really, it'd be interesting to hear what Timothy has to say about it, especially since he wrote so extensively about transhumanism and the surrendering of one's humanity and free will being an integral part or the human will in general all aspects of it being an integral part of um, of being human and being conscious. So I definitely want to bring that up with Timothy tonight. And there you have it. I want to thank my sponsors, BlueMonsterPrep.com. They are right up there with the merch and the coffee and the gold, all on the affiliates page, BlueMonsterPrep.com. They have gift certificates, all types of things over there that you can stuff someone's stocking with. And remember, whatever gift certificates you get, whatever Visa cards or cash, who the hell knows, your great uncle is still sending you $100 every uh, every Thanksgiving, every Christmas, whatever, it is. you didn't save all that up, go to Blue Monster Prep. It should be your 2024 God knows what's coming fund <laughs> and get a couple of sleeves of non-perishable food and all of that. And, um, and there you have it quite frankly dot gold give everybody a little bit of silver give yourself some silver and there's more go check it out um remember tomorrow night i'm off we are going to uh, lindhurst in tarrytown to see uh some of the wonderful work i'm sure it's going to be dazzling what my father has done over there uh, decorating this uh this this uh, storied mansion for christmas so if i have good connection over there i promise i will go live from the phone on youtube or something and if the connection is not good i'll make sure i'll take ample footage and then show it off on friday night and hopefully matt will be in on friday night uh, oh but <laughs> you know who will be on on friday night fleckus it's fleckus friday a christmas miracle so even though we're off tomorrow we're gonna have austin fletcher back on the show on uh on December 15th. And if Fleckus' mother still watches this show religiously, I just want to say Merry Christmas. And I miss your son terribly. So it's going to be good to uh, good to have a little bit of a reunion there. Next week, we're going to go to a lot of traditional places with this show. There's a lot of things that we do every year that I feel are really good to do. I want to talk about... Uh, oh, you'll see. 
I'm, we're, it's going to be a nice blend of friends and family and just overall goodness. And then we're off for the Christmas break, but I'm sure even over Christmas weekend, I will be going live here and there and puffing on a cigar and talking to you all. I can't be too far away after all. This is a very, very deep passion of mine. So there you have it. Also, tomorrow night, please be on the lookout for my appearance, my most recent appearance on the SGT Report with Sean. I was uh, recording with Sean today around... 1.30 p.m. my time, and it was a, a really great... It always is. It always is. And you should see a little bit of Sean next week on the show, as well as uh, many, many other people. You'll see how that all works out. So look out for that on the SGT Report. It's always so hard to introduce myself to new audiences, so it's. Um, I'm always very grateful when people like Sean ask me on, and they, they find some value in, in something that I... in the things that I have to say because it's rough out there. It's rough. That's why I'm always uh, experimenting with new ways to grow the show and to produce the show in different ways to hopefully catch some eyes and to fund it, the funding of the show. That's that's big. That's big, you know. Um, I want to I wanna grow it. So thank you, Sean, and thank you, everybody who watches everybody, all of our friends. There's a lot of crossover. All right, let's see, 702, into the grab bag we go. Oh, first things first in the grab bag, happy belated birthday to our friend Gina from South Carolina. It was Saturday. It was Saturday, so it's, it's belated, but I hope it was a good one to our good South Carolinian friend. Thank you so much for watching, and I hope it was a wonderful evening. All right, here's the first one up. This is from Oddity Central. Scientist spends 10 months in prison after AI system wrongly identifies him as a murderer. Did you hear that? A Russian hydrologist, Alexander Tevetskov, was detained in February 2023 after an AI system determined that his face was 55% matched to the sketch of a murderer drawn 20 years ago by a witness. So you've got AI doing facial recognition and like, you know, gate recognition stuff that is scanning everybody's faces and going through decades worth of of suspect sketches. And and this guy stayed in prison for 10 months because of AI. Oh, it's only getting started, my friends. Alexander uh, Zvetskov. A scientist at the Russian Academy of Sciences Institute in Inland Water Biology has been living a nightmare for the last 10 months. He was removed from an airplane in February following a work trip to somewhere and informed <laughs> and was informed that he had been identified as the author of a series of murders over, over 20 years ago. Investigators claim that he and his alleged accomplice killed at least two dozen people in Moscow, the Moscow uh, and the Moscow region in August of 2002 ignoring the testimonies of multiple scientists that Vetskov or Svetstov Vetskov had been with them at the time of the murders. The state smoking gun, you might ask, an AI-powered system that found a 55% match between Svetskov and a sketch drawn by a witness over two decades ago. 55% match, and he spent 10 months of his life. My gosh. And I just got a text message from Dilly, from Brendan Dilly, 
Ever have a friend of yours get a 10-page New York Times hit piece done on them? You have now. Oh, I was waiting for this. Hold on. Let me let me just respond. No, Dilly, I was waiting. I'm, I'm on the way. I'm on the air, by the way, right now, Dilly. And I was waiting for this because I saw you uh, previewing that this piece was going to be coming out soon. I'll read this after the fact, but if you, you, you got to come on for like 10 minutes to talk about anything about this because that's incredible. 10 pages, New York Times, ladies and gentlemen. All right, Dilly, have a good night. All the best to you. I'll read this afterwards. So <laughs> there's all, all the fun all the fun stuff. Like I said, we're like a half a degree of separation from everybody at this point. But um, we'll just uh, maintain our heading, shall we? So there you go. Ten months in prison because of an AI system wrongly identifying you as a murderer. I guess it's just like the self-driving cars here in the United States that are wrongly identifying telephone poles as highway on-ramps. That's right. From the AP, Tesla recalls nearly all vehicles sold in the U.S. to fix a system that monitors drivers using autopilot. Tesla is recalling nearly all vehicles sold in the U.S., more than 2 million to update software and fix a defective system that's supposed to ensure drivers are paying attention when using autopilot. Apparently, the autopilot itself was having a lot of problems, too. We always hear about, you know, getting stuck places, you know, getting into accidents, but this is something different. And now 2 million vehicles have been recalled. Documents posted on Wednesday by U.S. safety regulators say the update will increase warnings and alerts to drivers and even limit the areas where basic ver- versions of autopilot can even operate. The recall comes after a two-year investigation by National Highway Traffic Safety Administration into a series of crashes that happened while the autopilot partially automated driving system was in use and some accidents were deadly. The agency says its investigation found autopilot's method of making sure that drivers are paying attention can be inadequate and can lead to foreseeable misuse of the system. You know what the misuse of the system is? Uh, What everybody thinks autopilot is. I mean, I, I, I don't drive a car like that or have a car like that drive me. But when you think of autopilot, what do you think? You probably, it, it sounds to me like you set in your coordinates, you set in your address on Google Maps or something like that, and then you can read a Hemingway novel on, uh, you know, on, on the West Side Highway somewhere. Little old man in the sea as you're going to, um, you know, MSG or something like that. But um, it's probably not what the, the case is, and um, and yeah. Well, anyway, that is uh, that's it. But safety experts, one last thing, say that while the recall is a good step, it still makes the driver responsible and doesn't fix the underlying problem that Tesla's automated systems have with spotting and stopping for obstacles in their path. That is a very big issue issue very big issue so um and watch out i know we've been getting a lot of information the uh to this year this week about chinese cyber attacks we're into cyber attack land a cyber pandemic would make a covid19 seem like a minor inconvenience <laughs> you remember you remember what rotting oyster face klaus schwab said well We're getting closer and closer, my friends. China builds world's deepest underground laboratory to study dark matter. 
Oh yeah? You think that's what they're gonna be studying down there? Dark matter? I'm sure it'll be dark enough. But, um... That and more, a little bit. Indiana Jones is coming on with us in just a second. Our good friend Timothy Alberino. Don't go anywhere. Time to get started. You let one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? Let's ride! So, over the summer, sometime around August, is when we started getting these reports. This is from the Sci-Fi, the Sci-Fi Channel, and others. Locals report an eight-foot alien predator, or alien predators, plural, in Peruvian jungle. When resident aliens Harry uh, showed up in Patience, Colorado, he had destruction on his extraterrestrial mind. See, Harry was sent by an alien authority to protect Earth. Well, guess what? There's no protecting going on in Peru. There is a little bit of a, um, a little bit of a mystery that has been swirling around in those jungles down there in Peru about whether or not these are uh, off-world entities, whether they're interdimensionals, whether they are miners, illegal miners out there that are using high technology that somehow defies gravity. Uh, that doesn't have to ha- doesn't have any conventional um, or discernible fuel source, no exhaust, no hum. It's not a not a drone, and they usually have body armor that is impervious to shotgun blast. Um, that is uh, that that's some of what prompted our friend Timothy Alberino, who has a long storied history down there in. Central and South America to go and figure out what the hell is going on. Now, um, what we have seen over the last few, I don't know, about a month and a half, as he went down to Peru, then to Guatemala, um, he met with a lot of the locals down there. I think he, you know, gave them some, I I think it was resources. I I want to get the full scope of his mission. But there was a lot, a lot he did. And a lot that he reported on, and it really got him a lot of traction on Twitter at the time, because this is something that's ongoing. Now, I haven't heard anything about it. This is the one thing that we've been looking at, the whole Predators thing. They said, well, the reason why it seemed like Predators, because they were very, very easy to blend in with their surroundings. They were in the trees. They were at least high up above everybody else, and there was physical contact. 
The physical contact part of this makes it unique to any other kind of sighting. And you don't want to leave out the fact that there was malicious physical contact to the point where I didn't even know when this popped up. It's another question I have to ask Timothy is when, when did they start becoming known as face peelers and why did somebody's face get peeled off? Uh, that's, these are all things that are very new to me. Um, in either case, when he comes on, I want to ask him about that. I also want to do a little bit of follow-up on on some other things that are going on in the country right now, especially with the, the whole disclosure thing um, going into Christmas. I have some Christmas questions, a personal one too. All of that and more with our friend Timothy Alberino, who you can find all of his work on timothyalberino.com. Uh, he's an explorer. He's an author, a lecturer who has garnered an expansive knowledge Expansive knowledge base, which enables him to dissertate with authority on a wide variety of esoteric topics, including theories on alternative history, ancient mythologies, megalithic structures, which I think he was doing a little bit of uh, peeking around, poking around down there, and too with that, especially when he came up by way of uh, Guatemala. I don't know if those are the only two stops that he made over the last couple of months, but we can talk to him. Giants, Bigfoot, and other cryptids, well... There's always stories about big feet out there. There are always stories about that. But giants is another thing. I think one of the first time that Timothy came on the show, I asked him, I asked him about the, um, the incident, the reported incident of there being a red-headed ginger giant that was, um, that was out there in the Middle East that our Marines had encountered while on, uh, on patrol in the desert somewhere. That is a very, very, that's a very popular story on the internet. And, um, and he seems to give it a little bit more credence than, than, uh, than not, you know, um, especially when you actually get to talk to eyewitnesses and, and see what happens there. Now, as far as UFOs and alien abduction goes, I know that this is a very contested thing. There's a lot of people who just don't believe that whatever we're talking about with UFOs or anything that's non-human that is working um, for, alongside, or against mankind, uh, there's a lot of people who just don't feel like these things are coming from outer space. They're coming from some sort of an inner space or, um, hold on a second, I just want to make sure that, I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page. Okay, there you go. Um, or inner space. This is something that um, you really got to take into consideration, different theories into consideration, especially when you talk about alien abduction. You know, um, sightings, what the hell is it? Whether it's unknown technology that's been developed by us or uh, something else, that is always secondary to physical contact where a person has been taken away, uh, abused in some way, experimented on, when you have lost time and other weird uh, phenomenon that a person experiences. Well, that's, uh, that's, that's something that uh, I've, I've spoken about with Timothy in the past, but I would love to get into a little bit more. It really usually focuses around the work of people like Dr. David Jacobs and, and others. But then we have transhumanism. Transhumanism and emerging technologies that is where I think the whole idea of free will is going to be a nice addition to tonight's show. 
Because what is most human? What is the most human thing about us? It's our emotions. It's our emotional intelligence, at least some of us. Uh, It's also the ability to think and to discern and to make choices. Now, the whole idea about a pure, a pure free will, how a free will is just pure. It is not tied to any kind of knowledge or any kind of, that's something I can't conceive of. But as far as any kind of flexibility that we may have as human beings, um, that ability to to make decisions, to, to freely choose, sometimes based on nothing but just whim, I think that's worth exploring, and I definitely think that he will have something interesting to say, uh, especially since transhumanism and the the shedding of anything that is naturally human is uh, is a, a topic that Timothy covers a lot in all of his work, published his lectures and otherwise, and uh, and we have him here tonight. Well, Timothy Alberino, welcome back to the show. Frank, thanks for having me back. Hey, man. Listen, so how long did you spend uh, outside the country? Because I know you went down to Peru. We're going to get into that in just a second. But then you made, you were posting uh, pictures from other ancient locations in Guatemala, I saw. Were those the only two stops you made? This year, I've been to Peru twice and Guatemala once. Okay. So then on this trip, it was just, it was those two in one trip, though. I went to Peru, and then I came back for one week, and then I went to Guatemala. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. I thought you just stayed out there. It's been a while since we had seen you, and uh, but that's that's incredible. You know, listen, I there's no better way to start this than by just having you take it from the beginning with what was going on in, in Peru. We had the jungle sightings. That made international news. It had a touch of aliens, a touch of high technology that nobody can get, could uh, explain, a little touch of military cover-up. So, but what were the parameters of your mission? What did you learn? And where are we now? Well, as you know, this these incidents began to occur in mid-July to the first week of August. Um, it blew up on social media. There were several videos that went viral that came out of a couple of different villages. Um, one village in the jungle city in particular uh, this all happened in the Peruvian Amazon, um, in the the region of Alto Nanay, which is near the city of Iquitos. Um, and when it when it all occurred, it, it, I happened to not have my passport at the time. I was uh, renewing my passport, so I was just sitting here as a spectator watching watching this unfold with everybody else and there were elements of the stories that were breaking that didn't make any sense to me especially when they concluded especially when the peruvian media media concluded that that the culprits were were river miners with state-of-the-art jetpack technology so um ultimately i decided once i got my passport back i decided to organize an expedition and go down there and and see for myself and interview these people and see for myself what exactly was happening. Um, So I was fortunate in this endeavor to have my friend Doug Thornton uh, join me. Doug is uh, is an ex-infantry Marine and um, an ex-DHS rapid response team operator. And so Doug and I together went down at the end of October, I chartered a riverboat. I made all of the arrangements for the expedition. And yes, I did 
uh, I contacted the village. I got in contact with them before I went and was able to ascertain the the current status of what was going on out there. And I, I was told that uh, the phenomenon, although it had subsided, um, they were they were still nervous about going out into the jungle and harvesting food and so forth. So I, I learned that they they were running low on supplies. So we did determine to turn the investigation into kind of a humanitarian effort as well. And we were able to provision them with food and medical supplies. The village of San Antonio de Pintuyacu, by the way, we were able to provision them with um, supplies and also strategic technology. Um, we, proc we procured high-powered flashlights, um, thermal binoculars, radios, night vision goggles uh, for the village, for the specifically for the patrol, for their patrols. They're doing patrols in the village every night. Um, and I want to thank the, the guys from Conduit Church, Pastor Darren Tyler, um, Jamie Brandenburg, and the great guys over there at Conduit for for uh, co-funding this this expedition with me um and, and 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 helping me to provision the village um so it was in october the 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 last week of october that that we went to the village we went up the river it was a two-day journey up the river from iquitos uh up the nanai river and then up the pintuyaku san antonio the pintuyaku it's the last one of the last villages the last large village on the it's on the the edge of a vast uninhabited wilderness uh, north of the village is pretty much it's uninhabited jungle so um, it's very remote but they do have a the provincial government established a communications outpost in the village so they have satellite uplink tech um, internet and in one building in the in the government building and so I was able to get into communication with them. The I, I received a formal invitation to come. Actually, uh, the the Apu, the chief of the village, uh, and the elders of the village uh, deliberated uh, my request to come to the village and do an investigation. And they 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 sent me a formal invitation. And in fact, the chief came down to Iquitos, met with me in Iquitos, and went up the river with me with a couple of his guys. I brought with me um, two active duty. Peruvian Navy jungle operators as well. Did you? Did you uh, guys? Security. Were you able to travel uh, internationally armed, or or, or did you have arm? Uh, you know, uh, firearms provided to you there by the by the village, and are they sufficiently armed as well? No, I wasn't. You can't. You can't. As a, gringos can't carry guns in Peru, uh, and it's very difficult for the citizens to carry guns as well. But the indigenous communities do have more leeway. In regard to firearms, so they all have shotguns. Okay, and and, and and this is what you learned. What part of what you learned? I have to imagine you got some of the more detail about how whatever they were facing in the jungle was actually seemed to be impervious to these firearms, right? Yeah, they carry sixteen gauge shotguns, birdshot. Uh, they do modify the birdshot and create larger slugs, especially for the traps. Um, so. When I when I got to the village, um, I was met by a small army of villagers with shotguns, and they were uh, very eager and happy to receive me and my team. 
um, but they were also very much in a state of vigilance. Uh, I have lived in the jungle. I lived in the jungle near this region, actually, uh, f- for 10 years, various parts of the Amazon, uh, uh, Peruvian Amazon, and I've never seen a village where all the men are walking around day and night with uh, with shotguns. So um, they... They when I when I arrived, we went to this government building that they call it the Tambo. By the way, all of this is in the video that I published on my YouTube channel. Um, you can see this what I'm explaining to you here. You can actually see it. And we recorded it with uh, GoPros. I went into the, the Tambo and uh, we gave them all of our provisions, and they received us very warmly. Um, they were very happy to have us there. And uh, they even did like a traditionally Kitu dance for us, and and um, we we were we were very well received, and we began our investigation in earnest. And what we began to discover, what we began to hear from the testimonies as we visited the locations, where the men of the village had encountered, and not just the men of the village, but had encountered these face peelers, these assailants, and. Uh, I was willing, when I went, I, I didn't know what I was gonna find. Uh, I was willing to, to follow the evidence wherever it went, um, even if it, even if it uh, indicated uh, miners with jetpacks. I didn't really have any precon- preconceived ideas. Um, my first inclination when they began to, to tell me the details of what they had been encountering was that we were dealing with very sophisticated drug traffickers, maybe cartels, and, uh, that that notion was very was swift was swiftly um, dispelled as we continue to hear more of the testimonies from the villagers. So it, basically, to summarize what they told me, the village was being assaulted back in July for about a month. Um, it was being assaulted by very bizarre assailants who were dressed from head to foot in black armored bodysuits. They have helmets, they wear helmets that are that are elongated, elongated in the back. Hmm. They have almond-shaped yellow eye lenses on their helmets. They have backpacks, apparently hard shell backpacks, but I'm not 100% sure about that, but it, it seems that they have some sort of hard shell backpack. Um, and they, they have very strange footwear. Their their footwear is very large, and on the bottom there's 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 two discs on the bottom of each foot, and so there's some sort of technolo- technological apparatus on the bottom of their feet that allows them to float about a meter off the ground. Um, and these descriptions came from many many people in the village, men and women, who who saw them face to face, always at night. Um, some of the guys saw them just, you know, 10 feet away, uh, trained their flashlights on them and discharged their, their shotguns right at them. Uh, one particular gentleman shot one of these guys uh, at point blank range and he, he fell on his, he was floating and when he was hit with a shotgun blast, he fell on his butt briefly and then hopped back up and, 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 and started floating again, and then just sort of moved away. It sounds like it um, sounds like a, like a, a, an all black version of the Green Goblin from, from Spider Man. Well, that's what they were that's what they were comparing it to was the Green Goblin. 
um, because these guys, the way that they made entry into the village, they didn't walk into the village, they flew into the village on hoverboard platforms, on circular hoverboard platforms that are silent, that have really remarkable capabilities. They, they're, they're encompassed with a series of lights. They have also floodlights on them. Um, and so these incursions would begin with the villagers seeing like little UFOs, discs flying around above them. And when, if there was a flash of lightning or if somebody happened to catch one and, and flash a flashlight on it, they would see these guys like surfing on them. And, and they would, the, these assailants, these mysterious assailants would go land in the jungle. They'd, they'd, they'd land in the openings of the jungle. And sometimes, most of the time, they would disembark from the hoverboard, the circular hoverboards, and then they would walk or float into the village. And, and, and uh, they were terrorizing these villagers. Uh, they attempted to abduct a 15-year-old girl named Talia. Um, they, they attempted to abduct her and apparently cut her face off because she has two lacerations on her neck. Um, that story was harrowing. Um, Talia, um, she was after, just after sundown, uh, which is when they always would make these incursions, these mysterious assailants. And Talia, just after sundown, was, was, um, she was picking fruit out of a tree with a stick and one of the fruits fell to the ground and she bent over to pick it up and there were some dead leaves around it and suddenly she feels this gentle wind at her back and the leaves start rustling in front of her and she looks behind her and she sees this she sees this 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 assailant this person uh dressed as i as i previously described flying up to her on one of these circular hoverboards no sound just silently drifting up to her, landed right next to her, and he grabbed her from behind and put his hand over her mouth. And then she saw another one, another guy coming up the hill. He did the same thing. He came up the hill, landed in front of her, and he grabbed her legs. Now, uh, Talia lives kind of in the middle of the village, but between the, there's, this, there's this forested gully between the houses where there's jungle in there. There's a chicken coop with a... A thatch roof down in there so it's 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 a gully but it's surrounded by the neighbors um and so these guys when they grabbed her they they flew her behind the chicken coop and then they proceeded to they mixed some cream with powder and they sucked it up in a syringe shot it up her nose so it's some sort of sedative and narcotic um that that began to make her feel a little strange and then they they took out a larger tube and this had some sort of a cream in it and they began to take this cream and wipe it all over her face Gee, this is very very compared to what i mean I, thank god that you went down there and got some details because all we got was there was a 15 year old girl that was that got scratched there was some kind of a, a topical abrasion or something like that but this is a very very complicated complex assault here complete with you know chemical agents and everything i have to imagine this is where the face peeler name came from her particular encounter no the face peeler is actually it's it's a, it's an old legend in the jungle it goes back to the 80s goes back to the to the probably mid 80s wow and uh, the face peeler phenomenon is uh i heard about it when i was living in the jungle you know it's sort of like the boogeyman boogeyman there like you, the, the parents would tell their kids, don't go out into the jungle alone or the face peeler will get you. 
Um, and the face peeler has, among the indigenous communities, it's thought that the face peelers are one of two things. Either A, they are gringos with, high, with advanced technology, or it's aliens, or some sort of non-human uh, faction. And again, it goes back to the 80s. It does not go beyond the 80s. So it's, a, it's about a 40-year-old phenomenon or so. And uh, so uh, they, they call them pelacaras in Spanish um, or pistacos. Um, and, but anyway, Talia, when they grabbed Talia, or rather when they were applying this cream to Talia's face, um, her face instantly instantly went numb. By the way, I interviewed her. This is where the story's coming from. I, I talked to her myself. And um, she says she heard the assailants speak. Oh. She's the only one who we talked to who who said that she heard them speak. Everybody else said that they, they didn't speak. But um, what's really remarkable is she says that she, she calls one the gringo and the other one the Peruvian, the gringo because he's larger, the Peruvian because he's he's smaller, although he's still taller than me. Most of these assailants are described as anywhere between six, six and a half to seven and a half feet tall, sometimes even up to eight feet. So they're very large. And what were they speaking? And she said that the the she calls the one the gringo because they were both speaking Spanish, but the larger one was speaking broken English, a oh. broken Spanish rather. He had a gringo accent, so she calls she called him the gringo. And she said that when they were smearing this cream on her face, the Peruvian face peeler said to the gringo, "Be careful! Don't put too much of that on. You're going to ruin the flesh." Oh. And I asked her about that later, what what she thinks they meant, and she told me that um, it was something about how. It was going to make it if they if they applied too much of this cream. It was going to make it difficult to separate the skin from the flesh when they when they were cutting her face off, and indeed that's what they proceeded to do. They took out a a uh, like uh, a small device, which uh, I think uh, she described it to me. I think it's a, a laser sca scalpel. I think it's, I think it's a laser scalpel that they had, and then they they began to to, to make an incision right here under her jawline. And when they began to do this, uh, Talia sort of, one more effort to break free, she started to, to struggle. And she was able, she managed to get her hand up. So there's a guy right behind her that's applying the cream. And then now he's beginning to cut uh, right at her jaw. And she's, she's struggling and she was able to start to push his helmet up with her hand. And he didn't want her to see his face. So he sort of let go, for a minute, go of her for a minute. The guy in front of her slapped her in the face. And it was during this struggle that they, they dropped her. And so she was able to momentarily break free and scream. And you have to understand the context here. This was not the first incursion by these assailants into the village. The first incursion had happened a day or two pr previous to this abduction, uh, attempted abduction. And so the villagers were all on edge and were in a state of vigilance. And so all of the men were sitting on their porches with their shotguns and their flashlights because they knew that there was some sort of a, these assailants had been making incursions in their village. And so when Talia screamed, the neighbors and her brother came running immediately. Hmm. And uh, what happened was the, 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 let's call him the Peruvian face peeler. He immediately started to take off on his, on his, hoverboard um when she screamed because he knew that the the neighbors were now alerted 
And he, he was, according to Talia, he yelled back to the gringo, let's go, let's go, let's get out of here. And, and the gringo said, no, we can't just leave her here. So he grabbed her by the hair and started to drag her up the hill on his hoverboard, mind you, dragging her up the hill. She's, she's unconscious at this point or semi-conscious. And eventually he had to let her go because the villagers were on them. And the neighbors and the brother, they had their flashlights trained on these guys. And I, I interviewed them as well. And, and what they saw was exactly what I described. They saw Talia laying on the ground, bloodied up from the cut. And they saw these two dudes dressed in black, exactly the way I, I detailed, I described. And they're like sort of surfing on these, on these platforms, these hover disc platforms. And they, they maneuvered themselves to where there was an opening in the trees and they shot up through the trees at a high rate of speed. Uh, that's, um, that's really what, what the incident that really sort of really caused the villagers to start to live in, 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 in panic and fear because of this ab attempted abduction. This, doesn't, this wasn't just some, a sighting of these strange people. Now, now they knew that what, at least part of their intention was to, was to abduct their young people and apparently cut their faces off. So obviously the villagers thought these are, these are face peelers, these are pelacadas, right? And, um, and so I heard a lot of testimonies um, of encounters with these guys, very, very bizarre stuff. I mean, they were described to me as being, this is exactly the phraseology that, that was used by one gentleman who chased one. He said it was inhumanly agile. Uh, the way it moved, uh, the, it was just inhumanly agile. Like, I don't know if it's because it's human beings in wearing advanced tech, right, with exoskeletons and, and this, this, these, uh, this propulsion technology on their boots, or if it's because it's maybe non-human entities who are perpetrating this. Now, Talia, it must be uh, noted that, that uh, Talia is, hot, is very traumatized. She's got mm -hmm. severe PTSD. Um, when I first encountered her, she was trembling and crying as soon as she saw me and Doug. And, um, I mean, Doug and I are certainly imposing figures, especially in a, a jungle, you know, two days up the river in the Amazon. But, uh, but she, she first did not want to talk to us. She associated us with her, with her assailants. Um, but she is so traumatized and they did at the beginning of the assault, they did, uh, shoot that the, the sedative, the narcotic up her nose. So it is possible that she is confabulating the detail about them speaking because that's an anomaly. Nobody else ever heard them speak. Even when they were shot point blank, they didn't yell, they didn't scream, they didn't, you know, make radio contact with the, with the other guys out there in the jungle. I'm, I'm uh, meaning the assailants. There was no communication. No, they, there was just, they were silent always. And so, um, it was really an anomaly to 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 learn that these assailants spoke, and especially that one of them spoke broken Spanish with a gringo accent. Now, she probably had already assumed, as many villagers had, that the assailants were that the Pelacadas are, are gringos, right? Because the indigenous people think they're gringos or they're or they're aliens. That's that's the that's the that's the belief there among the indigenous communities in regard to the in, in regard to the face peelers. So it could have been that she had this preconceived notion and then confabulated the details that she couldn't remember of the assault 
Uh, it could be that she was hearing voices telepathically. It could be that she absolutely heard them speak. And if they did speak verbally, then we're almost certainly dealing with good old-fashioned human beings. Well, you know what you um, what you what you bring up is a. It's I mean, it's so much. There, there's absolutely nothing compares to what you have dug up. Um, nothing out there that has been published over the course of the summer when we found out this was happening in, in July and into August. Nothing com- compares to this. And there's so many incredible factors to it. I think it's very responsible for you to to consider that if, if she was sedated in some way, that everything she remembers after that could just be could be a, a, a result of, of being in an altered state of consciousness. But the other the other hand, but everybody has seen the the uh, the the agility of these, I mean, far more people than her have seen the agility of these these entities on these crafts, and there you here's the biggest mix that we have now is the technology that has been used is really incredible, especially from the standpoint that it's not any kind of drone we have heard about because it's silent, so that means that there there cannot be a conventional fuel source, and that the motivation for the encounters i don't know what the um what the reasoning for wanting to collect faces would be for them to have such a buffalo bill uh, approach to this to come and apply different types of creams to try to uh, but it almost for for the, for you know just a lay person it seems ritualistic um, I mean, it's just a strange mix of factors here between the high technology and also the savagery um the the savage intent it's it's just very very weird but yeah the more you talk about well, it the less i think alien it gets weirder um so obviously these guys are in possession of some sort of unconventional technology um being deployed from their boots by the way talia told me a very interesting detail she said that when they land their these platforms these circular platforms um which are about three feet in diameter when they land when they want to when they want to take off again they 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 touch a button on their boot and it and it energizes it activates the the technology and they lift off into the air um but what's bizarre is that they're able to float even without according to the uh, handful of villagers that told me this in the village more than a handful actually they're apparently able to float around even when they disembark from the 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 hoverboard platform so there there's some sort of propulsion technology being deployed from their boots i i surmise that they probably magnetically snap into the into the into the uh, circular hoverboards but that technology see when we first started hearing about this my again my first inclination was maybe this is maybe this is cartels with like you know uh really advanced hoverboard technology um, that was my first inclination, but then we started hearing other details that um, that really that really just um, belayed the notion that we're dealing with any sort of a conventional explanation here, um, and particularly in regard to the advanced aerospace vehicles. There, many of the villagers, in fact, a handful of them, drew these vehicles in the ground. Uh, they all drew the same shape. One of them drew um, the shape of the vehicle on an acrylic board. And basically what the villagers were describing, what they were seeing during this period of time when they were experiencing these incursions, 
they were seeing these, again, what I would describe as advanced aerospace vehicles that were about the size of small private jets or large air, uh, helicopters like Chinooks or Blackhawks, um, but they were shaped like an acorn, not not an acorn vertically, not like a bell, like an like an acorn on its side. And uh, but the point, but the 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 like maybe the co cockpit, the front of the craft was like it came to a point and then it rounded out in the back, you know, like an acorn shape. And it had these it had these little protrusions, like these little rounded protrusions. They weren't wings, but there were these little rounded protrusions on the side that that open up. They they open up and they deploy a series of rapidly blinking lights as if they're scanning. Um, again, uh, several of the villagers drew this for me in the dirt. They all drew the same thing. And then one one gentleman uh, uh, told me his encounter with one of these craft. He said it. He said he was pulling up his nets at three o'clock in in the morning one night, and um, uh, or th that was a contradiction. He was pulling up his nets one night, uh, and he um, it's it's pitch black outside. Then suddenly, suddenly, he said it was like the sun came up, like someone turned the lights on, and he, he could see everything around him. And he's looking down to the water, and he sees this this reflection in the water. He looks up, and 30 to 40 feet above him is this craft that I just described. And it's just hovering there silently. He didn't hear it. It's just hovering there silently. It just suddenly turned the lights on, right? And But what was, what was really interesting about this guy's sighting is that he said the craft was transparent. It had a, it had a mesh. It had like a transparent mesh around it. And he saw two two people sitting inside one was like in the front in the cockpit and the other was sort of in the middle and he described this thing in great detail again he drew it on the acrylic board for me and he described the way the lights were around it and he said it was completely silent and it just hovered above him for for a while and then it 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 moved away and when it began to accelerate it made a like a low frequency humming noise and and again, these craft, this is not a one-off, this, this sighting. These craft were seen by multiple people in the village and on different occasions, hovering above the village, above the river, during the same time when these mysterious assailants are making incursions into the village. So obviously, we are not dealing with conventional technology by any means. Um, uh, this guy, he, he, he wanted to make it clear to me, this craft did not have propellers, it did not have any kind of engines it had no propulsion system to speak of and it was absolutely silent and these are by the way this, this is not some uncontacted tribe in the amazon these are civilized villagers they watch all the same movies as everybody here in america they've seen all the marvel movies they have they have cell phones they go over to the government building and they can sit there and connect to the internet and watch netflix if they want they probably don't have netflix accounts but they watch youtube they have social media Okay, so these guys know what helicopters are. The military helicopters fly around um, every now and again, you know, going out into the jungle on different missions. They see helicopters routinely. They know what all this is. That's how they knew who the Green Goblin was. That's why they made that comparison right away. The first thing they thought of is exactly the thing that you and I would think of. That looks like the Green Goblin because they had seen the movie. So we're not dealing with a bunch of dumb villagers who don't know what a helicopter is. Right. Yeah, and, these guys are very clever, very intelligent people, and they know they 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 knew that what they were looking at was 
unconventional technology because it didn't have blades and it didn't have exhaust and it didn't have engines and any kind of uh, noticeable propulsion system and it didn't make any noise. Right, right, and then, and then this is why when you, the more you go on, there are certain things, questions I had for you I'm just crossing out, uh, but there's, there's certain portions of some questions I had that are still around. Like for example, now you just said that these, these things were translucent, that they were, you can actually see through some of them, that, that at least that's what's being reported by people on the ground. I was gonna ask you if uh, because of how, how, uh, how these things have been so quiet and in some cases have been a little bit of, uh, they've been pretty resistant or uh, unaffected by a bird shot or anything like that. Is it at all possible that they are holographic projections and not physical, but then uh, you can't, you can't shine that kind of a light from a holographic projection. You actually need some kind of a light fixture. Um, that's, you know, so it can't just be a projection there. Then I started wondering before we got on the air, Oh, perhaps is it, is it possible that they're tulpas, some kind of a, a psychic projection? And but all of this just seems less and less likely. But there's little, there's little aspects of of all of it um, combined. They're very physical. The, okay. it's a, the, the phenomenon is physical. It is not paranormal. It is not supernatural. It is a very physical phenomenon. It's technology. When these guys are shot with the bird shot, you can hear the the pellets, the pinging, uh, dinging off of their of their of their body armor. Hmm. Um, uh, by the way, the villagers set up traps around the village. They set these traps up. They use them all the time in the jungle. They're very dangerous. Um, they're they're just sort of like a tube with a a a, um, a firing mechanism, and they they stick a they stick a cartridge in the tube, and there's a trip wire, and uh, they're very dangerous. And I've seen all kinds of accidents with them, and they use them to shoot small game, right? So they usually put them about a foot off the ground. And they kill deer, and they kill you know they they kill pigs and different things in the jungle with them. Um, <clears throat> but they set nine of these traps up around the village, but this time with the intent of shooting one of these guys, right? One of these assailants. So they they elevated the trap so that they 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 estimated the, how high the knee would be on these guys, and so they put the trap maybe I don't know a couple feet off the ground or a few feet off the ground or something, and they set nine of them up around the village, and the traps would go off at nighttime. They'd hear them going off, and then they would run out to look, and they would they would they would see that that the trap had been triggered, and they would see the footprints in the ground in the soil of these of these assailants of these uh, of these these strange people, and their footprints. They all describe their footprints are very large footprints, like really big. Like they, they would all go like this. They're they're really big, and there's two and there are two circles on each on each foot. So they're like two discs on the bottom of their shoes. And I don't know if these guys were just setting, if these assailants were just screwing with the villagers and, and blowing the traps off, or if they were tripping them and just impervious because there was no shrapnel, there was no blood or nothing. Yeah. Unfortunately, a woman from the village accidentally walked into one one day and it blew a hole through her thighs. And she had to get emergency medical treatment. That yeah. happened in the last couple of months. So... Um, you know, this is a very, very kinetic phenomenon. It's not. It's not a, an apparition or a hologram or, or some. As I said, some sort of supernatural thing. These are these are physical, corporeal beings, people in wearing technology, and it, deploying technology. I would assume that they have night vision built into their hem, helmets. Um, uh, and that they they have all kinds of different technologies. By the way, 
they never have any weapons in their hands ever um i'll jump forward for a second and say that just a, a week ago i spoke with a, a young man um in a village near the city of Yurimaguas, which is southwest of Iquitos. It's still in the Peruvian Amazon. Uh, it's a little more towards the Andes Mountains. And this individual, he, he told me the same story. They had the same sort of incursion in, in his little village, same, same dudes flying around on these, uh, on these silent circular hoverboards, dressed in black armored bodysuits. Um, but in this case, this is a really interesting story because when these assailants made the made, made an incursion into his village, he was taking a bath in the river. He comes running out of the river, throws a towel on, grabs his flashlight, grabs his shotgun. He sees one of the guys going into the jungle. He pursues. He starts running after him. He gets close enough to one of these assailants he, that, he, that he shot him with his shotgun. And he only had one cartridge, so he threw the shotgun down on the ground. And he sprinted after this guy that he shot, and he must have damaged the technology because the guy was lifting off into the air, but he couldn't, like he kept coming back down to the ground. And he was lifting up into the air, and he and and and, and this guy, Pablo, the guy I was talking to, he was able to run up to him, and, and he tried to tackle him, grabbed him by the waist as he's going up in the air. And this this face peeler, he pulls out, a what Pablo described as a, as a mini flashlight, but he said it was a laser. He pulled out this laser device and flashed it on Pablo, and and it, it instantly knocked him unconscious. What the hell? You know, instantly knocked him unconscious, and his and he woke up, and his his buddies came running, and his dad and found him there, and 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 he has since had heart troubles. You know, Tim, it when, screwed when, with his heart. As you're as you're saying this, I'm saying to myself. This somebody has to have given approval for some organization of people to go and test this technology on a on a bunch of on a vill, a bunch of villagers. I mean, is is there any governmental uh, uh, you know uh, stepping in or or any kind of no. supply? So no, the villagers have been pleading with the navy to come and help them. To they wanted the navy to patrol the rivers and 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 watch over the village at nighttime. The Navy never responded. Two police officers went to the village, to San Antonio de Pintuyacu. Only two police officers went to the village. They had a Navy escort, but, but the police did the investigation. It was a piss-poor investigation. Uh, the police, it's the P Peruvian police who concocted, they fabricated the jetpack miner story. They, it was an absolute fabrication. If you go to the village out there and you talk to these guys, they're absolutely offended by the notion that these are jetpack, that these are miners, river miners, or miners with jetpacks, it's absurd. These are not miners of any kind, and these are not cartel members either. Whoever this is, look, my hypothesis is that these are, this is this is a group of nefarious human beings in possession of advanced technology, perhaps even perhaps even reverse engineered alien technology, and and these guys. They this has nothing to do with cartels. Listen, cartels have have military grade weapons. There's no question about it. They have military grade uh, assault rifles. They have they have you know they even have some of the vehicles and some of that stuff that we've that we were deploying, for example, in Afghanistan. They have military grade hardware. They don't have fighter jets. They don't have a fleet of battleships. 
There's no way that cartels have advanced aerospace vehicles that can hover silently over a village, can be transparent, and, 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 and this level of technology, they don't have it. It's not logical to assign this phenomenon to any kind of a, a conventional explanation. Now, human beings, yes, I think they are human, but, but this is unconventional. So we're talking about like deep state, dumb state, black ops, breakaway civilization type stuff. Uh, and it, it's there's no conventional there's no conventional explanation here. So uh, I know for a fact that we're not dealing with miners and we're not dealing with with narcos. And I know for a fact that, that that the objective here is not to drive the natives off of their land so that they can mine the river. That's what the police officer said, which, by the way, was picked up by the Peruvian media and then picked up by the press in the United States and just ran with it as if mystery solved. We solved it. It's jet. It's miners with state-of-the-art jetpacks. Of course. <laughs> why that, didn't we think of that? That's why it's I, absurd. I'm telling you, that's why. That's why the more you, you you color this in, the more I feel like the people who uh, once again should be protecting a certain uh, a group of civilians are are really just uh, standing back and trying to give cover for an ongoing operation, whether it be the testing of of something or it, it's just very, very odd. Now, listen, I want to hold hold you over to the second half of the show. I'm going to go on intermission now right, real quick. It's only a minute and a half uh, break, uh, Timothy, so stick with us because I have one more question about this. Then I want to shift gears to uh, free uh, questions about free will and maybe a little bit of uh, Christmas there too. So we're not done. Everybody, li- ladies and gentlemen, please follow us over to pill.net and also to uh, or if if uh, if it's easier for you quite frankly.tv we've got more with Timothy Alberino um, if you are on uh, Rumble and and YouTube and Rockfin the links are all there for pilled uh, there's no paywall there it's just two clicks and you're over and again this episode will be uploaded in its entirety later on tonight on Twitter on Rumble on Rockfin on BitChute across all podcasts and this isolated uh, interview with Timothy Alberino will be uploaded as well over the weekend on Rumble and YouTube. We're doing that a lot more now too. So, but listen, there's there's nothing like live. We have a lot of great stuff to talk about with Timothy still. So, follow us on over, and we'll be back in about a minute and a half. Don't go anywhere. The rest of the show is available exclusively at Pill.net. Follow the link in the description of the episode. Get signed up. It's that easy. Or head on over to quitefrankly.tv, just press play. No paywalls, no censorship, no strings attached. So head on over, quitefrankly.tv, powered by Foxhole and pilled.net. It's intermission time, folks. Time out to press the like button. Thank you.
entering, quite frankly. 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 We all support quite frankly. Not quite. Quite frankly. Joe Brandon. Quite frankly. And Roma Italia. Quite frankly. You going on Frank's show tonight? I want to get a Coke. Can I get a Coke? So everybody watch. Quite frankly. With Frank. Quite frankly. How dare you? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so... Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We're here on the other side of intermission, and uh, Timothy, here's what I want to jump off, uh, uh, back right into the mix here with you. Here's a question that came in from uh, Casey out in the audience, and I really appreciated this one because it it's a little bit more centered on what this could be in a very kinetic, real-world um, uh, kind of a set. Where the hell is it over here? Oh, here, from Casey. Uh, has Tim managed to get in, uh, get an in with anyone who's part of the bigger business community? Uh, perhaps, like, what types of land deals are trying to happen out there? Is this just a big Scooby-Doo episode where one business owner is trying to scare a landowner away, or something of the sort? Okay, so that's what I was going to segue into. I wanted to say that I, one of the things that I now know, having completed the the uh, investigation, is that this has nothing to do with the land. How do I know that? Because uh, the initial claim was that these miners were trying to drive the villagers off their land. Well, that may seem plausible for a village that's as remote as San Antonio de Pintuyaco with only 200 inhabitants. By the way, this is the Akitu community. Um, fine, that, 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 that may seem, seem plausible. The problem is that the same phenomenon occurred in Nauta, which is two hours by road from Iquitos. Um, Nauta has a population of 35,000 inhabitants. And Nauta has a military base, a Navy base, and a well-armed police force. We're talking automatic weapons and helicopters now. So whoever these people are who are making these incursions with this advanced technology into these villages, um, they're also bold enough to do it in, in, in a city of 35,000 inhabitants. I've even heard rumors recently that they've been encountering these guys around Iquitos, which has a, hundreds of thousands of people. So it's not about the land. It's not about the land. It's not narcos. It's not miners. And by the way, as I'm saying this, it, we sh because I've been all over uh, on different radio programs, even the BBC, all over the place talking about this, we should expect f photos to come out, videos to come out of some 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 people equipped with janky jetpack technology or something and the media claiming that nah, we caught the we caught the face peelers it's just a bunch of you know uh miners or or narcos out there with these jetpacks that you know you can fly five minutes before they run out of battery life don't believe it it, it does that it's not that i know that for sure at this point in fact the peruvian press has already been caught publishing fake images of of guys 
on conventional hoverboard technology with these huge backpacks. They caught they got caught publishing fake pictures mm. of the of the face peelers, right? So it's already beginning. Um, listen, there there was a particular video that came out, and all of this, by the way, this isn't going to make a whole lot of sense until you see the video I'm going to reference here, which you can see on my YouTube channel on the After Action Report that I published. It's got about 160,000 views right now on my YouTube channel. It's a few videos back now. Um, there was a particular video that came out in in that time frame of mid July to early August um, that depicted it was it was a it was a chaotic scene at nighttime. <clears throat> it was in the city of Nauta, and there was people yelling, dogs barking, and there was a, a, a guy with a flashlight, and he's flashing up into this tree, and he's saying, there it is, there it is. And, and as he's flashing up into this tree, you can make something out. There's something in the tree, apparently. It looks like there's something in the tree. And furthermore, when you break the video down and slow it down, which I did on an, an analysis video previous to my expedition, it, it almost appears as if there's a there's a creature there's a there's a being there and it's and it's got large almond shaped eyes and the light is reflecting off the black eyes and it's it's slowly moving its head from side to side i wanted to investigate that location i wanted to go to that location during the day to get an idea of of what it looks like during the day and uh, to get an idea of the scale um uh the layout of the property and, and the scale of this potential being the setting and so i after i concluded my um investigation in san antonio de pinto yaku we were there for uh three days and two nights i came down the river and i went to the city of nauta and i was able to i was able to track down this very location where this video was was filmed and i found it i found the exact location and i talked to the neighbors um and What's remarkable is that this location, they had seen a couple of different events happen here. Um, and in fact, the, the particular video that I wanted to investigate with what appeared to be a being, they had never seen that video. They were telling me about a different incident in which a saucer, like a flying saucer, descended over this tree and was, and was, uh, there were, it, was it was flashing a light down into the tree. That's what they were describing to me, and it happened in the same location. Um, but you can see in my video that I published on YouTube, um, the incident where this happened, it, it, it looks like in the video, because it's shot at nighttime, it looks like it was right above this house with this tin roof, when in reality, what they were looking at was back behind the house, up in this really high aguave tree, um, aguaje tree rather, and or next to it in another in another large tree. And if in fact what we're looking at is an entity in this video, which it may or may not be, it's a very low resolution grainy video. Of course, it's being filmed on a crappy smartphone at nighttime. But if in fact it is an entity, and you'll see if you watch my video why, why I think it might be, this thing would have to be very large. We're talking seven and a half to nine feet tall with a, with a tremendously large head. Okay, so I went there, I investigated that. Now what's really remarkable is that as I was talking to the neighbor, the lady who lives right in front of this house, um, she told me that that night, one of the nights that they saw a phenomenon, some sort of phenomenon, either the saucer or this thing in the tree, um, she heard gunshots going off on the outskirts of town. And her neighbor was coming home later on that night, and he was carrying a gun, a shotgun, 
And she asked him if he had heard the gunshots and what was going on. And he told her, not only did I hear the gunshots, I was one of the guys firing the guns. We've been patrolling the outskirts of the village because we've been being, we've been seeing these guys dressed in black bodied armored suits flying around on these hoverboard discs who are like making incursions into the city and the outskirts of the city. They call them face peelers, right? The pelacadas were, were, were under attack by, by face peelers. So the very same phenomenon that was happening in this remote village with these guys, with this technology was happening in Nauta, 35,000 inhabitants, okay? Automatic weapons. You have the police, you have the Navy and you have the army, you have helicopters. These are not drug traffickers. These are not miners. They're not trying to drive anybody off of any land. In fact, not far from there, I was told previous to my visit to Nauta, there was a famous incident that happened. It was all over the local news. It's, you can still find some clips of it. It's very gory. Uh, it's very graphic. It was, a, it was a boy, I think he was 12, 13, 14, maybe 16 years old. I don't remember, somewhere in there. He's a teenager. And this boy was in a village. Um, he was in a village not that far away from Nauta, but it was upper river. I think the village is called Bagasan. And the boy was assaulted. And they told me in Nauta that he was assaulted by a face peeler. And somehow he was rescued. And same deal. The guy, these guys dressed in black on these discs. Um, and this boy was rushed to the hospital, the emergency room in Nauta, because he had very, very deep lacerations on both sides of his face under his jaws. Very deep, very gory, uh, graphic. I posted it on Twitter. Um, you can find it. It's usually blurred. I found the, the unblurred version of it. And it's like his skin is just flapping. I mean, somebody really was digging deep into his neck on both sides. He almost died. Uh, he lost a lot of blood. He was in the hospital for a long time. Thank God they were able to save his life. They gave him a uh, transfusion and sewed him up. Um, but everybody in town told me that was a pelacara attack. That was a face peeler attack that had occurred in the same time frame as the villagers in San Antonio are getting attacked and the people in Nauta. And what was the so, last time that there was a, a reported incident? Because I know this was all really very hot and heavy in July and August. But uh, since then, uh, has there been anything? Uh, since I got back? Well, I, yeah, well, since, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, since, be, between the, the, the incident in San Antonio and Pintuyaku and the time that I went down there, so within that, like, one or two-month window, other incidents had happened in other villages. Um, there were mm. attacks by these these face peelers in other villages where people were hit with lasers, much like this, the story I told you about Pablo. Right. Um, there are other sightings as well. And during this two-month period of time, July, let's say from July to the end of August, really it was mid-July to mid-August, um, during this period of time, there are also <clears throat> other sightings happening in the Peruvian Amazon, um, other incidents. There was a report of, of, of this hostile encounter with a UFO in which these two young people were walking and the UFO deployed some sort of like a beam down at them and started to lift them off the ground. And they were able to get away and they were running and screaming. There was a, there was a group of young people uh, from a, a high school or a college who were doing something, some sort of a project in the jungle. They all collectively witnessed a very strange being walking through the jungle. This was very 
exotic looking thing. It wasn't like a guy in a suit. It was an exotic looking creature walking through the jungle, a being of some sort. Um, and so, uh, you know, there's a, there's a whole lot of stuff going on. It's not one incident. It's not just, you know, it's not just these guys flying around on hoverboard craft. You have to, you have to contemplate the advanced aerospace vehicles that are in play. Right? You have to contemplate the discs, the flying saucers that are being seen. You have to contemplate the weird, the, the, the high strangeness happening in the Amazon, uh, the Peruvian Amazon surrounding this event. And then you also have to contemplate the fact that there was a joint military operation happening in the country, specifically in the Amazon. There's a lot. Uh, that, in, that involved the U.S. Marines, U.S. Air Force, Space Force, uh, the, the, those equivalents um, from the United Kingdom. Peruvian military, Brazil, Colombia, Ecuador, Uruguay, doing a joint operation in Peru. So there's got to uh, be something. There's got to be a similar thing. This seems like it's too significant. And, and as we're we're going to uh, we're going to um, uh, veer away from this topic a little bit and get into uh, a couple other things that I want to do with you before we go. Um, especially since it'll probably be the last time we talk before the new year. There's only a couple of weeks left in the year. But this seems too significant. There's too many strange but very highly interesting and high-technology aspects of this. The details are too strangely put together for this to only be a uh, a Peruvian market test. I, I, I bet you... I, I would be very curious to see if there's something like this going on in other remote parts of the world that are, uh, you, know, per, you know, compartmentalized operations, compartmentalized from from each other, but uh, similar things. Have you noticed? Have you have you noticed any reporting of things like this in other parts of the world? Um, I've heard maybe some similar stories, but not during the same time frame. Okay, and not not with the frequency that that this sort of thing occurs in the Peruvian Amazon, specifically the Peruvian Amazon. Now, Brazil, I've heard that some of this kind of stuff happens in the in 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 the in the Brazilian Amazon as well. After all, Iquitos is not that far from the Brazilian border. Um, the Amazon River begins in Iquitos, by the way, and so what. What I think that we're dealing with here is um, there's 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 so many possibilities, but we I think that somebody this group of nefarious human beings, in my estimation, in possession of advanced technology, as I said before, possibly derived from reverse engineering alien tech. Um, I think that these guys are using the face peeler phenomenon, the Pelicata legend, as a cover for something else. Like they want everyone to think that they're face peelers when in reality they're doing something else in the jungle that they don't want anyone to pay any attention to. And it may be that what we're witnessing or witnessed is a covert operation in which perhaps the militaries of the United States, as I said, including Space Force and, and these other countries, were, were may, maybe there was a joint operation underway trying to dislodge something out there to combat something, um, and I don't know. I mean, uh, um, it does seem to me, though, that that the, the whole face peeler thing is a cover yeah. for something else. And the reason why it appears to be that way is because if these guys were really interested in harvesting faces, they would do it a lot. Uh, they they would they would they would be a lot more successful uh, than a couple of failed attempts. And and there's one there's one um, case that I featured in a video on my YouTube channel 
of of a young man, maybe in his early 20s, maybe late, probably early 20s, who they found was from one of these villages, and his face, two-thirds of it was completely gone. And it was not depredation by predators. It was not piranhas. You can clearly see in the video, if you watch the video on my YouTube channel, because most of them are blurred, not the one that I featured. In fact, it got me, uh, I got a strike from YouTube for it. But um, you can clearly see that the, where the guy's face is peeled, it's a very clean, precise cut. It's, it's cut with a very sharp knife or a laser or something. It's, it's a precision cut. It's not the work of piranhas. Yes, piranhas can, can clean you to the bone. There's no question about it. But they don't clean you with a clean, nice, clean cut. They don't, they, 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 their teeth are like saws. They just tear your flesh apart. Is there any... And they nick the bone. Uh, aside from the fact that some of these people are still alive after the attempts, is there any correlation... And this is the last question I have because I really want to get this other stuff in and I want people to go and check out the work that you've already published and whatever you have coming out because that would obviously be the most complete representation of all your findings. Um, uh, is there any correlation to the types of clean cuts... Um, that we talk that are, are very anomalous and are, are usually the common thread in all cattle mutilation uh, stories and and, um, and and investigations where there they, these uh, the animal carcasses seems to be mutilated and in, in ways with tools that seem not to exist in uh, in any in any operating rooms around the world. Yes, it's very much like the cattle mutilations. I would, I, you know, I mean, there may be a relation. It may be related to cattle mutilations, but then again, the whole thing may be a cover for, for another operation. Yeah. I, I don't know. Hmm. It's very nefarious, and it's very frightening for the people who live there. Um, and it's, it, it's, you know, I was kind of hoping I would go out there and do this investigation and, and, and conclude that it's sort of run-of-the-mill UFO activity. Um maybe abductions, something like that, alien abductions. Uh, before I went, I remember contemplating like the worst case scenario, and frankly, the most one of the most dangerous for me and my crew would be if this is just a group of nefarious human beings in possession of advanced technology. That would be the worst case scenario, and that is in fact what I think is going on. And I don't know if you saw, Frank, the story that um, uh, Stephen Greer did this press conference in Washington, D.C. a couple of years ago, and he brought forth some some whistleblowers and one of them i believe his name was michael herrera who was a, a marine and he had this encounter in indonesia when after that huge uh, hurricane and did you hear this story and and in i wonder if we even talked about it on your show but he had this encounter with this this he and his platoon with this this large disc like a football field size flying saucer that was just hovering there and they came upon this thing, and they were in shock, and suddenly these paramilitary guys came out of the woods speaking English, armed to the teeth. They were armed better than the Marines. And long story short, Herrera realized that there's a faction of human beings in possession with advanced technology that somebody is employing, and he deduced that it was being used for human trafficking. Jeez. So I think what, what's going on, the face peeler phenomenon in Peru, or at least this iteration of it, is directly related to what, what it's related to Herrera's story, this Marine, and, and what he witnessed. This is very nefarious. Man, and uh, it's like your worst nightmare come true. We've got these technologies out there that could change society, 
that could that could completely revolutionize society, probably pull everybody out of poverty, and instead they're using them for human trafficking, organ harvesting, sex trafficking. Who knows? Peeling people's faces off in the Amazon. It could. It could. It, honestly, it, it, a lot of it could just be psychological uh, on a psychological level. Um, you know, there's a lot to learn about people, as we know. You put people under stress, and you get a lot of information out of them. As far as like, you know, how a human being would would uh, react in certain situations. I mean, there, there's plenty to glean from just the reaction that these villagers in Peru. Um, uh, you know that how how they reacted to this uh, the, this presence around them. So there could be a psychological aspect of it. There could also just be um, who the hell knows. It, it, it may as well just be, hey, let's go see how these damn uh, these damn hovercraft that we have work in tight conditions in in a jungle setting because obviously uh, you, you're that that's very that's very tight dense. Um, yes. Geography. So you, you know, this would be if you're going to bring any kind of technology, transportation technology into a uh, a setting like that. I guess this would be the most limber thing to test out. But uh, you're, you're totally right on the implications if that really exa- is exactly what it is. And uh, yeah, I can't wait. Now all this stuff is already on your uh, published on your your uh, channel, or you have more forthcoming. Yeah, my YouTube channel. I did an after action report. Uh, I published that. Uh, like four weeks ago. Okay, good. Um, you'll see it. It's um, it's a couple videos back on my YouTube channel, and uh, it's the whole thing's there, and uh, with uh, the video that we captured with the GoPros. Okay, um, I have a question for you now. Just as, as we're getting a little bit toward uh, Christmas, the end of the year, I wanted I wanted to do a little reflection, and first I wanted to ask a more human question to you, uh, especially since you deal a lot. A lot with the transhuman and what's coming our way and all of that. Last night, the audience and I, we had a discussion about free will. Uh, a scientist from Stanford University wrote a book recently that claims that we have no free will. And every decision and choice that we make is the result of a fixed world of circumstances that not only compel us to act in a very limited number of ways, but also absolves us of the responsibility of our actions, whether they are virtuous or malignant. So I'm curious, just at first blush, what, what you think about this as you deal with humanity, you deal with create stories of uh, the story and myths of creation, and also of, uh, of, of the very inhuman places that we are going. So as far as free will, what do you think that the, what that's all about? Uh, I would disagree with that scientist. I think that we absolutely do have, and, I think I've seen some lectures uh, from him. Uh, I, I I do believe that we have free will. In fact, I, I think it's is it is it not Sam Harris who argues that in reality human beings do not have free will. Oh, he's one of them. But this guy who wrote the book, uh, his, I think his name was Robert Sapolsky or something. He's a scientist. Oh, Robert Sapolsky. Yeah, he's yeah, yeah very famous. Um, um, he studies um, primates. Yes. Uh, yeah, I, I watch a lot of his stuff. Actually, very brilliant guy. But I would, I would, I would vehemently disagree that we don't have free will. Um, I think it's, I think it's, I think all of us innately know that we do. And to suggest otherwise is to contradict, um, to contradict our our uh, our common sense. Um, well, let me ask you this because it did get me con- to consider two things. Number one. What does pure 
free will look like? And I mean, because I because I agree to a certain degree that our backgrounds, our beliefs, our, uh, and our life experiences they outfit us for action and limit us uh, in in some ways. Especially if there's you know the beliefs are are, are very very limiting. But then again limitations could be they could be counterproductive or discipline i believe is a lim- a form of limitation that is good for instance um but you know action to, to try to consider action that is completely unbound by experience or instinct is so hard for me to conceive that i imagine it would only be reserved for god alone um, so I, I don't see us as purely free will uh, of beings that are are driven purely by free will. We definitely do have our our upbringings and our life experiences that that give us a a little a little bit of a preset of uh, uh, you know data points and and how we how we you know go through life and make choices and decisions. But I can't conceive of what pure free will is that isn't tied down by some kind of human earthly experience. Can you? Well, I would certainly agree with that. Um, I don't know exactly what the definition the definition of, of of free will is, because certainly all of us are are influenced by our backgrounds, our our cultural aspects, um, all kinds of things. G- g- genes certainly are our genomes determine. A lot of the the way we think. I mean, I, I'm I'm an identical twin. What? And if you met, I didn't know that. My twin. If you met my twin, y- you would be very shocked how similar we are. Um, we don't look that much alike anymore, but we think very much alike. We pretty much like all the same stuff. Uh, we have the same opinions about most everything. Uh, you know, we've taken different paths in life, but. Um, Obviously, obviously, much of the way that I think is a result of my genetic composition, as well as other factors. So I understand the argumentation there. Well, those factors result in the decisions that you make. They bear heavily upon the the, the things that you choose to do. So in that sense, I guess you could make what what, what, what would seem to me somewhat of a tortured argument that in reality we don't have free will, but ultimately, you know, all of us can choose right now to do some random thing that we have, that we have, that we decide to do just to test our free will. That would have nothing whatsoever to do with our culture, our upbringing, some random thing. Um, that anyone in the world, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's some sort of a test that, that a study that, that, that could be formulated w- in which you can study actions that that would be that would be uniform across the board regardless of of cultural influence or genetic questions and demonstrate through that through such a test that people have have the free will to choose the course of those actions yeah i i I, ultimately i i think that well i don't i don't uh, i can't conceive of something that is uh free will that is unbound by any kind of human human experience so i don't see that it is an absolute but at the other hand i don't think that we are as as robert sapolsky was saying we are unaccountable machines he actually said that we are machines to actually go, to go to the the point that we aren't a sovereign 
uh, right. uh, uh, beings. Because ultimately, I think that we have flexibility. Um, the flexibility inside of a world that has natural laws and spiritual realities. And, and, and that flexibility really is where the rubber meets the road with, with how I think we have all uh, conceived free will. But here's one other question for you, since I know you like dipping into the supernatural and the paranormal from time to time as well. Where on the scale or, or where, in, uh, where does precognition seeing the future where does precognition fit into the spectrum of the will uh do you think because this came up last night as well do you is precognition always just based on a timeline that will play out if human will does not change the pathway or 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 what because that's that's very uh that's an interesting concept right there if if we are not on a fixed track how can one conceive and actually see the future what do, what do we mean by precognition? Are you talking about someone who has a vision, a dream, or yeah. just has a, a, a sense about the future that, that turns out to be true? Yeah, yeah. Like sees the future in very vivid detail in a dream or in a trance state, something like, you know, things that we have seen, we have heard before. Well, first of all, I would say that that's exceedingly uncommon. Um, but if it's happened but, once, at least well, certainly, once. Right, but I would say that it's very uncommon. Um in if we put it into biblical context when those when 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 prophets say had a visionary experience they saw something in the future it was almost always in a dream or trance and that information was conveyed to them it was delivered to them it was not that they themselves had the power to see the future rather somebody wanted to communicate something about the future to them that would be written down that would be recorded now i do believe that that human beings have extraordinary capabilities that we're that we are very much unaware of i believe that human consciousness is extremely powerful i believe that we are all interconnected on some level uh, and as you know i subscribe to the notion that the human species is inherently and originally a telepathic species and that we are all connected in in, in a, that we are all somewhat empathic and most of us uh, some of us rather uh, probably still retain some of those extraordinary capabilities, although it would be in a much degraded capacity. So, um, but precognition, it depends, you know, if you have a vision, for example, if you suddenly have a vision, if you, if you have a dream, uh, again, either in a, in a, in, in a, you're either in a dream state or you're, or you have a trance and you're seeing something, well, it may not be your own mind. It may not be what you're seeing and, and, and perceiving may not be coming from you. It may be coming from somebody else mm. who's showing you something about the future. So I'm not sure I would attribute the ability to see into the future to any human being at all. Wow. But we that, have an ability to receive a communication about the future, which is different. That's very, oh, I, I, I didn't even consider that. It is a transmission, that we are receivers in that respect. And, oh, okay, well, that, that is as fair as anything I could have asked for. Um, now, I have one question. Since you went biblical, I have a question about that and, and then a personal question about Christmas. Here's a question that always comes in for you. Maybe the last six or seven times you've been on, but it, but it comes in like the hour before I go live. I don't see it until afterwards. Troy asks, Frank, with all the supposed UFO disclosures going on right now, please ask Tim what he thinks Elijah caught a ride on. 
Um, well, you're referring to the chariots of Israel. I, 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 Elisha, when he saw Elijah come, when he saw the when he saw these angelic beings come to to collect Elijah, he yelled out, "My father, my father!" The chariots of Israel and its horsemen. Now, the chariots of Israel are also called the chariots of God, or chariots of fire. So, those are three. Uh, appellations for this technology, the chariots of Israel, the chariots of God, the chariots of fire, um, which one encounters on at least several occasions throughout the biblical text. And now back in those times, you know, Bronze Age people, the, 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 the most advanced vehicle conveyance that they knew of was a chariot. That was it. That's what the princes and the kings and, the, and, and all of the important people would travel on chariots. Um, there is nothing more advanced than a chariot traveling on land. So when confronted with uh, an advanced technology, the nomenclature simply isn't there to describe it. So you're going to compare it to the most advanced vehicle of conveyance that you are aware of. And again, in that context, it would be a chariot. So I think that what these guys are encountering is, is some sort of an advanced aerospace vehicle certainly a vehicle because they get into it. Elijah got into it, whatever it was that came to get him. Um, uh, listen, it's Christmas. So we all, we all, most of us are pretty convinced at this point that, that there's no such thing as uh, flying reindeer, pulling a sleigh. Why? Because that's impossible. Reindeer don't fly. Right. It's as simple as that. So, well, we can apply the same sort of logical thinking to the biblical narrative horses don't fly they're not made to fly a horse is designed to live on the earth to eat grass to run it's not designed to fly so so obviously we're not talking about a chariot and horses we're talking about some sort of a vehicle that that is it's it's a transport vehicle and it's being compared to it's 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 being uh it's being described uh with that that language uh of the chariot because that's as i said before that's the most advanced vehicle vehicle of conveyance that they knew of at the time now some people would argue and say well wait a minute the ancient hebrews had words for shiny and they had words for metallic and all this yeah they said fire so when you see a craft for example moving through the sky oftentimes it's there's bright lights associated with it. Like an, an ancient person who's looking at um, Christmas lights on your house, let's say you could, you, could, you could go back in time and bring a Bronze Age person into the present, walk them down your street and have them look at all the Christmas lights, what are they going to think that is? Yeah. Fire. They don't know what electricity is. It's fire. All these houses are adorned with multi, uh, of multicolored fire, right? Tongues of fire or whatever. Um, so I think it's, it's very clear in my mind that, that what we're, what we're the, the chariot of fire, the chariot of, the chariots of Israel, the chariots of God are advanced aerospace vehicles and those, of some kind. And those are the, those of the vehicles, some of the vehicles that were, uh, that were involved in, in the giant war of antiquity you're talking about. Well, you know, that that's um, prehistory, possibly. I mean, we, we might be talking about Vimana's Mercury Vortex engine flying machine, something like that mm. in the antediluvian world. But I think that this angelic race, who I refer to, as you know, is the elder race, um, 
are in possession of, of exceedingly advanced technology, ancient advanced technology. Well, there you. Uh, well, I, I'm ho- I hope that Troy feels uh, feels satisfied with that. He's been trying to get that one in for many months, many, many, many months. Uh, so then you mentioned Christmas. Let me ask you something personal. How does Timothy Alberino celebrate Christmas? And what I mean is just knowing the nature of your work, how much the Bible is the centerpiece of so much of what you do. Are, are 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 what are what are some of your cherished Christmas traditions? What do you reflect on? at this time of the year, especially with everything that you see humanity being made to face in the not-too-distant future? We celebrate Christmas, I'm sure, in the fashion that most American families do. We have the same traditions, you know, Christmas trees, that sort of thing, presents, um, and attend various Christmas events, Christmas-themed events. Uh, Christmas Eve, we, in my family, we have a tradition of reading the the actual Christmas story in the biblical text of the birth of Christ, which is obviously what uh, what the holiday of Christmas uh, was supposed to be celebrating. And you can debate, you know, when Christ was born. It's irrelevant. The fact is, you can celebrate the birth of Christ at any time of the year. Um, so uh, we usually will will have uh, we'll read, as I said, we'll read the relevant scriptures to the birth of Christ, and then. Uh, have communion, do communion with my wife, myself, and my my kids, and remembering the 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 birth of Christ and the significance of the birth of Christ, what it represents for mankind, and of course, um, tying that into the death and resurrection of Christ. And and as far as you as a as an individual with the work that you do, and like I said before, um, with everything that you see in your published work, has you know reflects what you see humanity being made to face. In the not so distant future, with the you know everything that you you um, you etch out in birthright, are these uh, these religious holidays are they meaning more and more to you as time goes on and the the, the waters that we are traveling in become a little bit more uh, choppy, uh, knowing what kind of fortitude we're going to have to uh, ga- you know we're going to have to gather our strengths for what's what's ahead. I wouldn't say that they're meaning more and more to me. I think that. You know, spending time with your family in this technological world, we're all distracted all the time on on phones and computers and media. That that this time when 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 we're focused on each other, and especially like Christmas morning, Christmas morning isn't about media. Still, it's still about gathering around and opening presents, and that that becomes more and more important and critical. I think to the family unit as we move into the deeper into the technological age. So those kind of things are, I do definitely cherish and, and make sure that we, at least in my family, we preserve those, those things. You know, I'm, it, it's easy to stop eating dinner together as a family, oh, yeah. you know, something as simple as that, um, that so many of us, and I've fallen into this as well, have everybody grabs their food and goes their, their own way. Uh, and, that even something as simple as that it's good to 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 try and to try and reverse course and and have traditions in which your family and and friends gather together and focus on each other and not on media or something else and certainly holidays are still have the the capacity to do that for 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 families 
Very, very well said. And I really appreciate the time that you always uh, make for us, Timothy. It's going to be a, it's going to be a good year, no matter what the hell they throw at us. And I hope that your family has a great Christmas. If we talk before then, I'd love that. If we, uh, and then of course, a, a very, very happy new year as well to you. Well, I wish the same for you, and and a very merry Christmas to you and your listeners. Yes. Okay. So, do you have anything? So, aside from everything you've already published after ah, coming back, yes. what do you got yes, coming I, up? I have. A, you may be interested in this, and I don't know if I mentioned this to you. I am on the cusp, probably next week, of publishing uh, a new edition for the Book of Enoch. Mm. Um, and but this one includes. I'm doing it um, in collaboration with. Uh, Luke Rogers and Nate Henry from the Blurry Creatures podcast. Some of you may be aware of that podcast. Uh, we're, we've collaborated on this project. I wrote a very extensive introduction to the Book of Enoch with some very surprising details in there. I wrote commentary for the first part of the Book of Enoch, the Book of the Watchers, and we actually we put together these these conceptual scenes. I wrote these conceptual scenes, and Nate generated some uh conceptual artwork that goes with the scenes and we've got seven of them and they're really unique and it's going to give you a completely different perspective of the book of enoch the the conceptual scenes the in textual form and also the the artwork is going to give you a completely different vision of the antediluvian world and i think for some people it's it's really going to rearrange the theological furniture in their head and it's very unique this project it's we've been working on it for a long time it's a beautiful book uh, really, and if I do say so myself, very well-researched commentary and introduction. We include Second and Third Enoch in there as well for people who want to have the full collection for the Book of Enoch. That is almost ready to go to print right now. We're making some final changes. Hopefully next week it's going to the printing presses. You will be able to get that on Amazon. Uh, you, you'll know it when it's mine. If my name is not directly attached to it, it's not my Book of Enoch. When it comes out, you're going to see introduction by Timothy Alberino. I'm going to make a big deal about it. So track with me on my on uh, sign up for my newsletter, uh, for my mailing list. Track with me on YouTube if you're interested in that, and on Twitter, Twitter X, and uh, Instagram uh, if you if you want to grab the Book of Enoch. We're trying to get it out for Christmas, and I think we're going to hit the window. I think we're going to get it out in time for people to order it for Christmas. So um, that's coming. That's coming like next week. Very so exciting. If you're interested in that, uh, that will be available on Amazon. But also, if you can remember this website, NephilimSeries.com, uh, it's going to be the first book in a series of books that we're going to be publishing. So uh, that website is, doesn't exist yet. It will shortly, and it'll have a link to purchase the book. But for now, you'll be able to get it on Amazon for sure. That's great. That's fantastic. I, and it, I'm definitely interested in it personally because I don't think that I have. I have the the Genesis six. Uh, I I have a I have a bunch of books. I but I don't have anything especially focused on Enoch, and it, it'd be even uh, optimal for me to have something from a guy that I, I I trust his work, and I have been a uh, an admirer at least from a distance. I haven't listened to everything that they've done, but I'm very familiar with Blurry Creatures, so that'll oh, be. Excellent. I'll let them know. <laughs> yeah, that that'll be wonderful. It really will be. And and uh, thank you so much. I can't wait when I get the word about it. I'll pass the word along to everybody in the audience. So if they want to go grab it, I'm sure they will. Awesome. All right, appreciate man. it. Yeah, have a great evening, and uh, it's good to have you back stateside. Always great to be with you. All right, man. Take care. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. There you go, and there goes Tim. There goes Tim. Now, I know what you're thinking. 
I know what you're thinking. Frank, you didn't ask him how many third graders he can he can take. I next time. Next time. The, it's a, I know it's a pressing question. We have to under, we have to I know I'm I'm sure many of you were just very distracted the entire time she's talking about face peelers in the Peruvian jungle, but you were wondering how many eight year olds could Timothy Alberino fight at once? I know that you were wondering that. And there's a time and a place for all things. The uh, it, it was uh, it wasn't right, especially after I asked him about cherished Christmas traditions and all that. It would have been, it just wasn't right. But next time, don't worry about it. Have no worries on that end. So, what'd you think about that? I got a couple of things here that I thought are are really interesting um, contributions. First of all, I have I have from from. From Tristan in Maine. Tristan says, Frank, remember the whole Fauci, the thing with Fauci and the prosthetic face where you could literally see the edge of the mask at his neck while talking and swallowing on video and the Biden ones that we have seen? Uh, What if that's what they need the faces for? What if they're taking these live tissue faces and altering them in labs or something to create literal living masks so they can present themselves as people more believably, at least on camera? God only knows what these beings look like under their helmets. But according to what that 15-year-old girl told him, they spoke human language pretty naturally right down to the accents. Gave me the heebie-jeebies. Would be a good one to throw at Timothy next time you get him on. Well, uh, yeah, maybe next time he's on I can throw that his way. Thank you so much for that, Tristan. And it is an interesting prospect. But, you know, um, I have seen... I have seen the breakdowns of what they are, what what is possible now with these latex, these latex masks. Now, the idea of a living mask, where you know there there is actually something alive to it, forming like it grabs you, it actually communes with your face, and that's that's interesting. And of course, that would be if we're talking about hovercraft and everything else. Why would biological technology like a living mask for, you know, disguise purposes or anything else not be possible? I would consider that. Uh, Here's one from Doc Keck on faith. Uh, Oh, I mean, uh, on faith and free will. Doc Keck, he said this in Gilded earlier on today. The exercise of free will is predicated on whether or not faith is chosen. If the exercise of free will is to not choose the faith of Christ, but rather an expression of one's own understanding of a premise to be articulated by, to, and for one's self, then the fulfillment of the exercise of that stands alone outside the scope of faith they would be rejecting. Either way, there is an adoption and a rejection of something serving as a foundation or a basis of comparison. So I, I, so Doc is probably coming from the standpoint of that, yes, free will is pretty limited. Uh, because it's, you know, whatever faith you choose or whatever faith you reject, you are then, again, adopting a worldview. For example, um, what we were talking about with Robert Sapolsky, he's an atheist. He believes that there is no God. He believes that we are mere biological machines and um and we, you know, that's just what it is. Now, because the faith he chose is one that is without a God and no real organized religion or faith at all, that 
comes with its own set that its own set of parameters for a worldview that somebody with faith would have. There are some things that somebody with faith would, uh, you know, would not consider ever because it goes against what they believe. Um, whereas somebody without faith would not consider things like the supernatural because it goes completely against what they see as a, you know, a godless, um, happened by chance miracle of consciousness. No, no, not a miracle, a happening, a scientific happening. So I, I get it. And it's a very, very, this has been a very profound conversation to pop up this week. Because I do see, and I do not reject at all the notion that we are with, uh, you know, depending on where you come from and where your life takes you and how observant you are and how willing you are to apply what you learn and experience, uh, you, you are, you're tempered in your, in your journey through life. You are a lot more tempered at age 35 than you were at 15. That's 20 more years of experience. You make a lot of mistakes along the way. You go through a lot of pain. You have some triumphs. You want to be able to uh, duplicate the triumphs and reduce the pains. So, I, I, you know, there, and of course, because you are motivated by pleasure or at least comfort and joy, and you are also motivated by trying to avoid pain, there becomes a lot of things that you would never choose and things that you want to choose more and more and more. And I guess uh, that, that would limit your, your, um, that would limit your, uh, your options, right? Or you would limit yourself. So again, the whole thing there is, I believe that we have flexibility. We definitely have flexibility in our choices. We also have flexibility in our decisions as well, and I think that there's a lot that goes into it. There's data that has to be computed. There is past experience. There's past experience of other people. You know, you can learn a lot by other people's mistakes and their triumphs. So we put so much into where we go, and I don't think that we are devoid of free will. I think that it is just a very human sense of flexibility that we have in the moment and that some people are less free than others. That's what it is. Now, the one thing I cannot conceive of, I can conceive of a person who has no free will because that is essentially a slave, uh, even though you can say, well, you can bound me up physically, but if my mind is my own, then I am not a slave. And that, uh, that has a sliver of truth in there too, if not actually a very uh, a bigger than a sliver of truth in there as well. But when we talk about mind control, it's the opposite, where you are able to leave the house every day. You are not bound to your house. You're not bound to ball and chain or anything like that. You can go into the grocery store. You can buy your milk and your cheese and your cold cuts and your rolls, and you can come back and you can come. You can just do whatever the hell you want, go for a walk in the park, walk the dog and all that stuff. But at the same time, if you don't have the mind, if you have been completely, completely, in, you know, uh, uh, entranced by one controlling party or another, then that is, that's it. I mean, you, you have physical freedom, but you actually are, you have no free will. And we have a lot of that to, to discuss as well. So I think that there's that flexibility and we have varying degrees of that. And hopefully as consciousness raises going into the years ahead, 
um, we will be able to regain more of that free will. So whereas I can think, see that varying degrees of flexibility, the one thing I cannot see is pure free will that is totally unbound by past experience. That is something that I have to imagine just belongs to God alone. Because it's so hard to even try to, it's almost as hard as trying to imagine nothing. To imagine the nothing that that simply out of nowhere just exploded into everything. That, so thinking about pure free will is just as hard about the, just as hard as thinking about nothing. So, um, that has to be something that's just above our pay grade. That's what I got for you tonight. Let's go into our super chats. Let's go into our super chats and see what people have been saying the entire show on quite frankly, superchat.com which I'm going to have to give away this Godfather book, maybe on on Friday. I've given you three weeks, so I'm going to be calculating that for the last three weeks, and we'll see who wins this. Stostube says, Hump Day is among us. Another great guest and always a wonderful listen. Thank you, Frank. Thank you, Stostube. And Jay Britz, who's become his partner in crime. Thank you, guys and gals. Uh, Happy Hump Day, Frank and Franklies. Break a leg. Thank you so much. I got to say, I understand with what we're trying here, I really do appreciate our friends at Pilled.net. Uh, I've I've been a believer in 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 their business model and their commitment to free speech and what they've created over there uh, for a while now, which is why it's been the home of the network and it has been the main vehicle of conveying the show on Quite Frankly TV as the centerpiece of it all for a little over two years now. Uh, but I, I do know that what we're experimenting with right now with a little bit more of an advanced partnership with them has has uh, has been a challenge for for some people. And it's also been a challenge for for kind of, you know, wrangling everybody into one way of sending in super chats. And and I just want to say that always remember wherever you watch, quite frankly, superchat.com is is a uh, is a wonderful option where you can send super chats overnight. If you have a thought that you want to have read onto the air the next day, you can send it to me at 4 o'clock in the morning. Quite frankly, superchat.com. And I'd love to see you uh, see more of you get involved there. Uh, that would be really, really great, especially for just sustaining operations here at the studio. Um, thank you, Stostu and Jay Britz. Very wonderful of you. Now, I had another one that came in through PayPal. I just saw the... The thing that popped up is from Michael Rogan. He said, Frank, I'm having trouble finding the Super Chat place. It's quite frankly, superchat.com, Michael. He said, I wanted to comment on the fellow saying that we don't have free will and therefore shouldn't punish anyone. I'd asked what he hoped to accomplish by saying this, to change minds so that they will stop punishing. It seems to me free will is self-evident. I believe so, too. I believe so. Think about what kind of horrible precedent there, too. To, to try to avoid discipline at all costs to say that oh don't worry no you you had no choice but to break into that house and strangle somebody to death you had no choice we, we should get we should get you a a psychiatrist assigned and uh, you know maybe three square meals a day at a local uh, rehab and and then of course you'll you'll go along your way and strangle five more people then we'll just get you some more more help until we we figure you out it's a ridiculous notion it really is but uh, the world is filled with ridiculous people. 
925 Wild Jesus Timothy uh, is a Purina gilded cat people. Timothy looked like he was very, very human tonight, but I know that the suspicion will always be floating around him with this audience now. And then I want to thank Eve for America over there on Rumble who said Merry Christmas, Frank, and very, very um, generous gift. Thank you, Eve, for America. I love you very much. And um, and yes, look out for all types of special broadcasts on on places like Rumble coming up and and uh, and more, more. NJSF, this is all on pill.net now. Let's go to our gold pills on pill.net. The Foxhole, quite frankly, TV. NJSF, thank you so much. Donasar, thank you. Sean Joe gives a tip. Boys Blanc, the same. Porpoiseful again. Chai Possum says, Can I get a birthday shout out for me since it's my birthday today? Chai Possum, it's your birthday today on the 13th of December. Happy birthday to you, my friend. Happy birthday. Thank you for all the loyalty. It's always great to see you in those uh, those messages every night. Sean Joe, thank you. Buying and selling and gifting subscriptions, thank you so much. Tinka just claimed a subscription. Now Tinka will be joining us on a Sunday afternoon stream soon. So will Eagle Freedom. Curious Patriot says, ML this holiday season. And oh, Merry fucking Christmas. Let's see. Um... Thank you, Curious Patriot. Joe M says, have a blessed night. Sean Joe, is if free will is tethered to nothing, then there is then is there no free will? If free will is tethered to nothing, is there no free will? No. I see that for free will to be tethered to something would be the it would be an automatic lessening of how free it is. Now, I mean, that's what it is. There, there takes, there's a little bit of an edge that's taken off of the freedom when you, you come up with a series of events or something that impacts your life and then impacts your future decision-making. It becomes biases, prejudices, experience. It doesn't, it, has, it doesn't have to be negative. A lot of it is just about self-preservation. You find the things that work. You find the things that don't work. You assume the worst. I mean, you just start understanding. So I think that's where it would it would be. Um, but I can't conceive of total freedom, and I reject the idea that there is no flexibility, no freedom, no autonomy whatsoever. Uh, one, two, three, SKG. Thank you so much. Boy Blanc, or Boys Blanc, thank you. CK Whitehorse 180, thank you for the cookie. C Blanche, Sean Joe, our four cents is there. Swickley says Green Gobblers. Zoso Dude, Tim makes Indiana Jones seem like a piker. C Blanche, I wish I was there. And Dem turned red, says Cookie Fight Anyone. Wow, thank you so much. A Democrat turned red. Let the fight begin, says Mr. Autumn. An amethyst cat gets in on it as well. Now they're throwing cookies at each other. I baked a fresh batch, says Mr. Autumn. And now there's a horrible, horrible food fight starting right there in the chat room. The Sentinel says free will is the human ability with forethought to control one's own actions in any situation. Of course, your list of choices is experience or knowledge-based. Yeah, I, and, and, I, and you can just as easily say, you know what? 
choices and knowledge and data and experience be damned. I'm going to do something I haven't done before. You could always do that. And, um, and, and usually that usually comes with a lot of regret. <laughs> it usually comes, when you ignore so much experience and so much data, not only that you've collected, but other people have collected that's publicly available and you say, screw it. A lot of times there's some instant regret after that. Thank you, Swickly, again. NJSF says, uh, mechanistic versions of will fall in the face of the Heisenberg probability cloud that caused quantum mechanic. Wait, there has to be more to this. Mr. Autumn says, add nutshell by add Allison Chains to music list. Your pal, the, uh, the effed up farmer on Rumble. The Sentinel says, great show, Frank. Tim is a fascinating storyteller, and boy, did he have a story to tell. I know. I, I, listen, we come across a lot of very strange stories and articles on the internet, and we use it as either as, as either you know stories to pass the time or something to dig deeper into, or we take an aspect of it around and expand on an aspect of a story. And when you hear about these things that are happening in small little places, sparsely populated areas of Peru near the jungle or right inside the jungle, and um, they make the headway. It, that, for most people, that is just something that comes into and out of their experience pretty quickly. Oh, that's strange. Did you hear what happened in Peru? But the fact that we had a guy on tonight who said, well, I know this area pretty well. I'm going down there and I'm going to interview people. We got more information tonight on a story that just passed right through people's dashes and really had no impact and it turned out being very very fascinating because uh for all of you who reject the idea of there being physical non-human um entities that you know are more colloquially uh, termed as aliens this should be a little bit more interesting now that it is it's almost i mean i'm i'm convinced that it's all human but the real question is, what the hell is this technology being used for? What is the need for the, fee- the face peeling, for the assault, for the skin conditioning, for the sedation? I, I, what is the need for it? Very interesting. Stostube throws a whole sleeve of cookies in there. Paulie says, Frank, free will. Dostoevsky, notes from the underground. It's about spite. Even in Utopia, spite breaks it. Mm. Maven says, much love. Thank you, Maven. Our four cents says, happy 75th birthday, Ted Nugent. 75. Stostube continues to bury us in cookies. And then Winston Dave, thank you for ending it all. Um, that's all for tonight with the, uh, the gold pills. I'm going to release the scratching right now. And in the meantime... In the meantime, I would like to uh, just remind you all that it's Wednesday, so I don't know what we have going um, going for us as far as after-hours programming, but what I was told from the network crew, that's Abe and Cody, that for the next 14 days, or yesterday being the 14th day, we had two Christmas movies a night. We had 30 Christmas movies. Every night the movie's getting better and better and more classic. So uh, that's it for the, the next couple of weeks, two two weeks of Christmas. You're going to have some really awesome after-hour seasonal stuff going on. Uh, the other night, I, I think on Monday night, we saw uh, what was played. Oh, I think Gremlins. Haven't seen Gremlins in a long time. And you know what I found out? 
that the movie set for Gremlins. I said, this is a very familiar movie set. And as I was looking through, because the one thing about Gremlins that I, I wanted, once I started realizing things, I, my, my earliest memories of when I was like five, six, seven years old watching Gremlins, I still feel all those feelings when I watch it. I remember what fascinated me uh, by the movie, by the things that they were wearing, the sweaters they were wearing, Gizmo, of course, the Mogwai. Um, I, I remember all the things that fascinated me by that movie. Uh, uh, that movie fascinated I you know what I mean? I remember all those things. I can feel them. But the one thing that I started noticing as I grew older was, wow, the set is really ridiculously flocked with snow. Like everything on that set was just spray painted white. It's not even believable that this was snow on those tre- on the on the trees. Go look at the trees and, and the branches in, in Gremlins. The worst flocking job possible for an 11 million dollar movie from 1984 they could have done a little bit better with the fake snow unless that was the intent for to make it look cheesy as hell anyway i went to go look into that because i wanted to see hey when was this shot because if they're flocking this bad with all the fake snow then this must have been shot either in the spring or the summer or whatever and i couldn't find the shoot dates but i did see that it was shot in burbank california which it had to have been at least 70 degrees and everybody's running around in in, uh, in, in coats over there but um, while I was looking for shoot dates for gremlins I saw some of their some of the, the the trivia underneath and it was incredible the first thing I saw was that the set that they used to create this area um, that to create the hometown in gremlins was the same set that they used to create Hilldale uh, for back to the future And as soon as I read it, I said, absolutely, no doubt about it. That's what's so familiar because I've watched Back to the Future 1 and 2 so much that those streets are almost like looking at my hometown. And when you watch Gremlins, just think of Back to the Future and you'll see they shot it on the same lot in the same set and they just kind of redecorated the town, but the street and everything is is the same. So Gremlins is shot in Hilldale. There you got it. Just a little, just a little something for you. Um, and uh, that's all I have. That's all I have for tonight. Thank you all uh, a bunch. Thank you a bunch to everybody who sent their rumble rants and your super chats and your gold pills. And tomorrow is not. We're not on air tomorrow night. Remember, but who knows if I go live during the day. If I have a little free time and something I want to say, but Friday night we'll be back here with Matt and and uh, Fleckus. Doesn't that sound great? The fifteenth of December will be ten days away from Christmas. That's right. All right, everybody. Thank you, everybody. Have a good night. Molly already just sent in a tip. Said hi, Frank. Can you tell us who was depicted on the bust sitting on your desk wearing the jester hat? That's JFK. That's actually a JFK piggy bank. My friend Jose got me this JFK piggy bank and uh, brought it to us as a gift. He saw it at a tag sale, and I said, "Oh shit, it's a piggy bank!" On the back of the, uh, right on the top of the head, you can see the slot, the coin slot, and all that shit. So I remember when he gave it to us, and it's messed up. I said, "Okay, well, there's how you put the coins," and then I turned it over to the base to see where the plug is. 
to, you know, you, you take the plug out of a piggy bank, you empty it all out and whatever. There's no plug at the bottom. I said, how the hell do you get this money out? He said, how do you think? I said, you got to smash JFK's head open to get the money out? That is wrong. That's just cruel. Uh, but <laughs> it's... So I said, you know, what? I think we're just going to use this as a bust. And that's what I've done uh, over the last well over 10, 10 years now. So think about that. Think about that. Thank you so much, Molly. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thank you. Thank you again to Timothy Alberino for the time. Um, be well. I'll catch you on the flip side. Quite frankly, is film before a live studio audience, and now our super duper chatters coming from all over the internet. Thank you to our gold pillars. Thank you to 925 Wild G, to Eve for America on um, on Rumble. Really great of all of you. Thank you, Molly Artie, Stostube, and Jay Brits. You've been fantastic. I'll talk to you soon, and good night. Also remember, don't go anywhere. After Hours is starting right now on QuiteFrankly.tv, powered by Foxhole. Take him away. I'm going to go home and sleep with my wife. <laughs>